Lord's Prayer or Jesus' Prayer, whatever you, however you want to say it. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we establish that there is a divide. God's will is freely and always done in heaven. And yet here on earth, it sometimes isn't done as freely as he would like. And so there's this idea that you and I have our own individual kingdoms. We have our own wills and we have our own says. And God has his will and his say. And when his kingdom is present, when his kingdom is thriving, it's when his will is done freely and unfiltered in our lives. And so we change the prayer a little bit to, may your kingdom be in me as it is in heaven. May your reign be in my heart as it is in heaven. And when we say the word heart, we mean this controlling factor within you, not literally your heart that's beating right now, but this idea that your heart is the center of who you are. It's what propels you. It's the controlling part. It's where our feelings, our emotions, it all goes back to this heart of you. And so we want the kingdom of God to reign in our hearts so that we can begin the transformation outside from the inside out to having the kingdom of God reign in our cities. So today, the beatitude that we're in, we've been going through the beatitudes in Matthew 5. The beatitude that we're in is one of the most difficult ones to hear. It's the one that says, blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Jesus is talking about what's inside and as I was trying to figure out what it reminds me of, uh, it, it, I was chatting with Carrie about this, and we started thinking of the boxes of chocolates. We know Valentine's Day is coming, right, guys? Valentine's Day is coming. If you have a Valentine, write it down. I think it's Tuesday. Okay, that's out of the way. But now is the time where the boxes of chocolates are being sold. And a box of chocolate is great, unless you pick up the one and you've searched all through the box of chocolates and you're trying to figure out which one's going to be good. And all you can think about is Forrest Gump, life's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. But you pick up the one, you're like, I'm going to spend my calorie count on this one. And you bite into it. Outside it looked great, but as soon as you bite into it, it's that blue minty marshmallow one, right? The one no one likes but it's in there. And so you bite into it. It looks good. It tastes good. But on the inside, it just ruined it. This is what I think pure in heart is getting at. It can look good and great from the outside, but Jesus is saying, I care about what's underneath the nice dark chocolate with sprinkles on top. I care about the nougat, the good one. I want, I want purity. I want you to start thinking about your insides and not necessarily what you look like on the outside. We talked about how the Beatitudes are announcements. They're saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. They're invitations that we can be a part of it. And he starts with the poor of spirit, the people who are furthest from the kingdom. They're the ones who are invited first to come in. The ones who are mourning, the ones who are meek, the ones who we usually push to the side. And then Jesus starts to shift a little bit as he gets further and further in this. He starts to build this idea that, the king, that these statements are invitations and they're also announcements. 
There are announcements saying that everyone is welcome. This kingdom is big. This kingdom's for everybody. Everyone can come in. But then he starts getting personal and saying, but I'm going to invite you to change your life a little bit. He does say in other places that repent, change for the kingdom of God is close. You need to do some things. We need to change the way we operate in order to take part in this, in order to become fully involved. And this is one of those places. Blessed are the pure of heart. And it's troubling, isn't it? Because when I look at my heart, when I look at the way I, I live, there's a lot of jealousy in there. There's a lot of anger sometimes, mostly at my football team. There's all sorts of stuff that I have to deal with. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart, I think of myself and go, I'm out. I don't belong here. Because really, if we're honest, how many of you will say, I'm pure of heart? Oh, good. We're not liars, at least. This is a troubling verse. It's the, and, he said, and it comes with this promise. We all want to see God, right? We all want to see what he's like. We want to see his reign in our life. We want to see the effects of God all around us. We want to experience God. But now Jesus makes this statement, only the pure of heart will see God. And what does that mean? How can I then see God when I look at my heart and I don't have the confidence to say I'm good enough to see God? It's one of these that we look at and it sits in that tension of an invitation and an announcement. And it's hard to see how we can be a part of this when all we see is things that are keeping us further and further away. This beatitude shows us something though. It shows us two things. It presents us with this, with two options that prevent us from seeing the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure of heart. There's two things that we can look at and learn from this beatitude that can help us see God in our daily living. The first that it calls our attention to is the sight of our motives, the pure of heart, the motives that come within you. What gets you up in the morning? What gets you doing the things that you do? What motivates you? Pure of heart has to do with why you do those things that you do. Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the pure in speech. Blessed are the ones who have the right actions. Blessed are the ones who are significant. Jesus is saying, blessed are those whose motives, not necessarily what they're doing, but he's talking about the inward side of you before he talks about the outward side of you. He's talking about the filling of the chocolate, not necessarily what's around. And so he's not talking about how we look at ourselves. He's thinking about how he looks at us. Blessed are the pure of heart. The kingdom of God begins in your heart. And then the normal outflow of the kingdom of God, of your constant surrender to what he's doing in your life, then the kingdom flows out of you. But what often stops us, what often prevents that kingdom outflow, begins with our motives. 
Tim read this section earlier, but we're going to go through it again in Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus is giving a practical illustration to what he means by blessed are the pure of heart. And he begins in Matthew 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Righteousness, practicing righteousness. If you want to get nerdy with the words, you take that back and the word righteousness is piety. You take piety back and the word righteousness is justice. So it can say, be careful not to practice your justice in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward for the, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, and they actually did this, don't go around with trumpets as the hypocrites do. They used to walk the streets and go, I'm giving $50 to this person. Everybody look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at this. And they put the, their money into the bucket and makes all sorts of no, noise, and they make a huge deal of it. He's saying, don't do that. And he calls them a hypocrite, calls them an actor. They're trying to get attention, as they do in the synagogues and the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be giving in secret. Then your Father, who sees what, you, what is done in secret, will reward you. We see this. We see this passage, and then we think, we can't tell anybody what we're doing. We have to be so secret. I can't let anyone know that I tithe online. I can't let anyone know that I help this person out on the corner. I can't let it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. There are some things that are known. There are some things that we can say, yeah, our church is doing this and we're proud of this. Jesus is not talking about things being known. He's talking about why you're doing those things in the first place. Did you catch the phrase that was there? In order to be seen by others, when they're practicing these things of justice, and the whole motivation is to be seen by others. Jesus is talking about why they do the things they do, and what they wanted to do, and why they were doing them, was so that other people would see them. He's, it, what ended up happening was that these religious acts, these pious acts, these justice, it's exactly what God wanted them to do. And so they would do that. And then the Pharisees and the religious people of the day would start saying, this is a badge of honor. I'm going to put a bumper sticker on my car, letting people know what I do. And then I'll get attention. And then I'll get merit badges. And then I can tell everyone how many crowns in heaven I have because of everything well that I've done. Jesus is saying to these people, that's not what we're doing. That's not what this is about. If you do things in order to get the attention and the approval of other people, when other people notice, that's the end of your reward. Your motivation was to get people to notice, and when people notice, that's where it stops. Jesus continues in verse 5 of chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, there's that word again, who love to stand, who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and here's that phrase, truly to be seen by others. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do. When I fast, you'll know it because I get hangry. Uh, but what they do, they would fast, and then they would walk around and go, oh, I'm so hungry. 
I have been fasting for days and they make a huge deal about it. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't don't disfigure your faces like the hypocrites to show that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received your reward. They've received their reward in full. Jesus is talking about their motivation. Your motivation is always determined by what you want and what you expect when you're doing this. If I'm fasting just so I can say I fasted for 10 days and brag to all y'all that I made it for 10 days, then when you say, wow, there's my reward, that's it. If I stand up here and have the most eloquent prayer, which is rare, but if I have the most eloquent prayer or the most eloquent sermon delivery and you come to me and say, well done, that is the end of my If that was my motivation to impress, then that's the end of my reward. I got what I was looking for. I got your approval. Jesus is saying this to the people around him that are listening about the kingdom. God will be with you and he'll be shown with you as long as he is your primary motive to what you're doing. Your motivation is always signified by what you want at the end of it. When we do good to be seen by others, we get what we're looking for when we get the pat on the back from those people. But our God is polite. He doesn't like to be where he's not invited. And so when we aim to impress the world around us about how devout we are, God simply and politely steps to the side and says, you can get all the credit you want. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't mean that we don't encourage Tim and the worship band for doing their, a good job. If their motivation was to impress you, then that's all they get. But if their motivation is to impress God and to draw you into worship, and your encouragement keeps them from, to, to do that, then they are getting the reward from God, not you. Does it make sense what's going on? It doesn't mean we stop encouraging people when we see people do the right thing. We have these cards that say, can you see it? It doesn't mean that we write that say, I saw the kingdom of God just uh, exampled by the way Drake does his thing every Sunday morning. It doesn't mean we don't encourage Drake. It doesn't mean we don't encourage one another. It means that when we do our kingdom expressions of justice, the motive that is in our hearts shouldn't be to get other people's approval. Because God only comes to where he is wanted. And the kingdom of God, when it's expressed in you and growing in you and outflowing in you, these sort of kingdoms, expressions of prayer, fasting, and charity, justice, those things should come naturally. It should be like, oh yeah, that's just what we do. Why are we going to make a big deal about this? Why should I get a press release for something that God told me to do anyways? This is normal. My dad, when, when he passed, we, we started going through all of his files. And it's that nightmare situation, right? You, I know all of his computer passwords, and so I, I type it in, and I'm going through files trying to find the, the ones for insurance, the ones that have the house deeds, and we're trying to make everything in order. And we see this file that I'd never seen before, and I was his bookkeeper for a number of years, and it just said agape. And I click on it, I enter the password for it, and I get a little nervous because we don't know what's in there. And then as I'm going through and previewing everything, I start seeing receipts, And they're high dollar receipts. And it's like, what is this? And you dig a little further. That's a roof for some lady's house in his church. Some elderly widow 
It's a roof. Okay. Go a little further down. That's a receipt for a, a, a college semester uh, that came from his account for so-and-so's kid. That's a preschool receipt. That's a new fence. And I'm just going through this file and I'm seeing things. And he held on to them just in case something went wrong with what he did. He held on to these receipts uh, for tax purposes and other purposes. And he had them. But what we found is dad was doing all of these things and he wasn't telling anybody about it. He was just doing them. So I printed a couple out and I go to mom. I say, hey, mom, what's with all of these? And I've told some of you this. uh, And mom goes, oh, you're dad. She didn't get it. And I said, well, what is it? And she goes, this is just something that he did. And he didn't tell anybody about it. And when I asked him why he was replacing so-and-so's roof and redigging their sewage line and all the other things that he's doing and why, why are you doing that? He would say, it's just what I do. It's just what Jesus has told me to do. And I'm not going to make a big deal about it. It's automatic. And he didn't want big attention. He didn't want the fanfare. He didn't want people to know. And he'd probably be embarrassed if he knew I was telling you because it's just what he did as a Christ follower. Pure in heart. And my dad had problems. It wasn't always pure. But pure in heart. The pure motive of just honoring Jesus with what you're doing. Because that's just what you do as a Christ follower. You don't have to blast it everywhere. This is what I'm doing. And get the attention of everybody else. Pure in heart. Pure motives. Honoring God with your motives. This is what Jesus is talking about here. It's just what we do. It's automatic. If this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, sits in attention of inviting us to be better and announcing something great, this is the invitation to be better. When you do something, why are you doing what you're doing? Whose attention are you trying to get? God's or the person next to you? If you're after the person next to your attention, your ego will soar. It'll get so big because you'll be getting so many pats on the back. But Dallas Willard says your soul will shrivel because the part that is life-giving will keep going away because you're not inviting God into the planning part of it all. If what you're doing is to get other people's attention, you're going to get exactly what you're looking for. And that's not what God is looking for. That's the call for us to be a little bit better. But this verse sits in the tension with an announcement. There's a good part of this. Blessed are the pure of heart. So in the audience that day, you have the Pharisees who are the ones making a big ruckus whenever they did good. And then you had the people sitting probably right next to the Pharisees who saw themselves as never able to do anything good at all. Because they see what the Pharisees and the religious people do. And they go, there's no way I can compare to that. I'll never see God in my life because I'm not that good. This is where the announcement comes in. When you think to yourself, you've messed up too much. When you think to yourself, you'll never be right. You've broken too many rules. When you automatically tap yourself out. When you think you have a past and you can never do anything right. That the kingdom of God will never be present. This is where the announcement comes in. This is where the good news comes in. This is where what we call the gospel comes in. 
This is the, the bright side of it all. Because the thrill and the good news in this is that through Christ, we can be, have, we can be given a new heart, a new motivation. If you want to get real cheesy with it, we can be given a heart transplant. We get something put in us that makes us new. It changes our standing. The announcement was simply that, that you can be made brand new. You can have your status changed. You can be given that transplant. When we were learning about transplants, when my dad was going through his medical stuff, we were learning about heart and lung transplants. And it was fascinating to read about, and he would send us all this, because this is what he was going through. But there was this risk of rejection that happened for the rest of his life. For the rest of, for any transplant, there is always a risk of rejection. It's because you're getting something from another organism, and it's putting in you, and your body will constantly try and fight it. And this is what happens to us. When we say yes to Jesus, we're given a new self. Paul talks about it. The old has gone. The new has come. We're given a new heart. And our body will constantly try and fight it. And one of the ways it tries to fight it is saying, you'll never be good enough to own what you have. You'll never measure up. You'll never be good enough to have the kingdom of God reign fully in your life. Why even try? But what the beauty and the announcement of this is, with Christ, we are given that new heart. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3. Uh, he talks about the imputed righteousness, which just means that what Christ had, we are given. We're attributed Christ's righteousness. And he goes through this lofty argument in the first two chapters of Colossians. And then he gets to this part in Colossians 3. Since then, since you have aligned yourself with Christ, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. For you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There is a lot of prepositions there. When Christ appears, who is your life, then you will also appear with him. The first thing Paul says is you died. That old part of you, that part that you thought would never be good enough, that part is dead. It's past tense. It can't be changed. That part is gone and buried. The next part that says, uh, or it, if we want to go even further, in the Greek it's, it means that wherever you are, that past tense is always true. That old part can never be changed. It's the past. It's like our past. We can't change the past. You have died. Your old self is gone. That old heart of yours has been taken out and put somewhere else. You have been given a new heart. And then he says, your life is now. So this is the present tense. Now. Right now as you're speaking. You said yes to Jesus. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think of Tupperware. You get a small piece of Tupperware. You put it in the larger piece of Tupperware. And then you put it in a larger piece of Tupperware. You are the small Tupperware. Your life has been taken. Currently, it resides in the larger Tupperware. You can't see your life without seeing through Jesus' life. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. 
It's this idea of righteousness and it's big theological words. But all that it comes down to is that when God looks at you, he has to see through Christ. So all of your mistakes, all of your hang-ups, everything that you've done that you think keeps you from living a pure life, keeps you from the motives, keeps you from embodying the kingdom of God in your personal lives, all of those can't be seen. Why? Because you currently reside in Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. So the past, you've, you're dead. The old you is gone. The present, you're hidden with Christ. The future is this, that your glory may, may be revealed one day. When Christ appears, who is your life? Then you will also appear with him in glory. That's our future. Our past is gone. Our future is sure. And now we live in the present of being hidden with Christ. So all of your imperfections, everything you use to disqualify you is gone. It's not even on the table anymore. Jesus can't see it. Paul talks about in other places in Romans 6. He says that we've been joined with him in his death and his resurrection, talking about Jesus. In Galatians 2, Paul says we've been crucified with Christ. And now the life of Christ is in with us. This crazy thing happens when you follow Christ. It's not that, that you're forgiven, even though that's amazing. But it's something deeper that takes place. The old self is gone. All your mistakes are gone. Those things that disqualify you are gone. And what Paul is describing is what Jesus is getting at here. What that is describing this extent of your new self. Sure, the old self still comes. That's kind of like the transplant. We still have to fight rejection. The old self comes. It's just residue. It's not who you are. It's what you used to be. Your new self is always there. You are, you are hidden with Christ. And what Paul's saying is, is in some very confusing lingo that what is true of Jesus in all of his purity, in all of his actions, and everything that he has done is true of you right now. He sees pure hearts. Blessed are the pure-hearted ones, the ones who have said yes to him, the ones who are embodying the kingdom, the ones who have the ability of the kingdom, and that's all of you, and you will see God. This is where we begin our lives we like to say that there's nothing we can ever do and, and we end up getting this backwards. We try to live our lives by looking at the outside in, by saying, I've done this, I've thought this, I said this, I went there, I looked at this. And we look from the outside in and we try to determine our worth and how God thinks of us. But that's backwards. What God looks at is the inside and he sees Jesus. You don't transform in God's kingdom from the outside in. Transform from the inside out. And if you said yes to him, you have a pure heart. It's just allowing God to reign and rule from there. It's an invitation for all of us to live up to what exactly God thinks of you, not what you think of you. We worried that we're not qualified, but through Christ, we receive the qualification. We receive the purity to, that we've been looking for. It's easy 
to look at the mess of our lives and think we'll never be good enough. It's easy to get hung up on our hangups and think that God will never be seen through us and we'll never be seen, at, we'll never see him work through us. It's easy to look at it through those lenses. But when we do, we're looking at the fog of our lens instead of the reality of our lens. On our honeymoon, I convinced Carrie to go snorkeling with me. Uh, I say convinced because Carrie is deathly afraid of sharks all the time. And so, and sharks, it was a real, pre like, Carrie, you want to go snorkeling? No, there's sharks out there. Okay. But I convinced her. I, really, I enjoy snorkeling. I took scuba lessons once, and then I got bit by an anemone or whatever it was. It wasn't fun. But I love being in the water. Carrie likes to look at it, and it's fine. But this time, I wanted her to experience this with me. There was this place in Maui called Black Rock. Have any ever heard of it? Got one. It's this amazing, you can cliff dive, and there's all sorts of sea life. I read about it, and I wanted to go snorkeling there. I said, Carrie, let's go snorkeling. And okay. And so we get her out there. We go, we rent the gear, we park, we, we put on the gear, we walk out into the water, we start swimming, and it's amazing. I saw turtles, I saw rays, I saw reef I'd never imagined being in that color. I saw these little seahorses, which were amazing. And so you st I start seeing all this, and I'm having a great time, but Carrie's grip on my waistband was so tight. I was, what's, what's going on? So I just kept swimming. I thought she was being cute. Like, oh, she's holding my hand, kind of. Uh, but it's, she was holding on for dear life. And then I stopped and I looked at her and I said, what's going on? She said, I can't see anything. This is terrible. Can we go back in? And I looked at her lenses and they were completely fogged up. She couldn't see any of this. All she saw was fog. And I remembered, oh, I forgot to tell you to spit on your lenses. Uh, they tried to sell us this solution, but it's like, ah, eh, the solution, I have the solution right here. And, and so I, we took out her, her glasses and we, we spit on her lens and she put it back on and then it was clear and then all of a sudden we're swimming again and I hear from her snorkel, whoa, whoa! She starts saying, wow, I'm sorry. Uh, She's, I hear, oh, wow. She sees a turtle. There's a big ray that we're trying to follow. She starts seeing the colors and the fish. She wasn't able to see it because of the fog at first. But now that she's cleaned their lenses, she can actually see what's happening. A lot of times we look at our lives through a foggy lens. And all we see is the imperfections. All we see is how we can't see. All we see is fear, all we see is guilt, and all we see is shame, and we just hold on and say, this is terrible. I'm terrible. Blessed are the pure of hearts is an announcement to you that your lenses can be wiped clean. That through Christ, you are good enough. You are whole enough. You can be seen in God's kingdom, and God's kingdom can be seen in you. And because of that, because of who we are in Christ, you can have those, oh, wow, moments. I can't believe God did that through me. I can't believe I was able to step in and do this for God. The kingdom has been present in my life, and I missed it. But now that I'm able to see correctly, now that the lenses have been wiped clean, I can see that I'm good because of Christ. 
Your identity lies in someone who's pure and you get to take credit for it. He, you are hidden with Christ in God. Then this beatitude becomes an announcement because then we are able to see God in our lives. I'm excited for what happens when we grab onto this reality that we are good enough to display the kingdom of God, that we can be reliving our original calling as priests who represent God to the world around us because we have Jesus in our lives and we can look back and go, oh, wow, this is what Jesus did through me. This is what Jesus is doing through me. Oh, wow. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that when you look at us, you see Jesus that our lives are hidden in Christ with you and you don't see our hangups as much as we do. You don't see our disqualifications as much as we do. They're gone, they're in the past, but you're concerned about the present. That through you and through the sacrifice of Christ, we're declared righteous. We're declared good enough. We are justified. We are being sanctified. And Lord, we thank you for that, that this is an announcement. But Lord, we also pray that we watch our motives, that the old residue doesn't come back, that the risk of rejection and trying to get other people's approval doesn't take over our lives. Lord, we desire to be wowed by you, but we desire to be wowed by you for you and not other people. We thank you for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.